the heart of a growing church. What, what, what's God going to do in a church that has a heart to welcome without judgment, love without condition, and then today forgive without limit? And one thing we need to understand when we look at forgiving without limit, the Bible is very clear. The way we approach forgiveness from non-believers is different than the way we handle forgiveness inside the church or with another believer. Look at the Matthew 18 principle. It's very clear. God's speaking to children of God. He's speaking to those within the body of Christ, a brother or sister. You go to them and you confront them. And we're going to look at that a little bit later on with, with an illustration. But it's different when we're talking about people that are coming inside the church we're not to confront them we're not their judge we're not their accountability we're to welcome without judgment love without condition and forgive without limit as Jesus did as he invited each one of us he invited us in no condition just respond to the love that I offer and to the forgiveness that I give there was no condition just come if you'll open your door, I will come in and sup with you. Just like he did with the woman that we talked about last week. There was no condemnation as she wept at his feet. The relentless pursuit of Jesus with his love, I believe, is the same love that he would have us to pursue those that he puts in contact with us have yet to respond to the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ. Just like yesterday. It's amazing to see people respond to a smile and a sausage biscuit or a sausage and gravy. It's just not that difficult. It takes a little effort sometimes. But people respond to it. It was amazing to see smiles come on folks' faces. And just to be able to talk to them. One gentleman told me, he said, this is different than Hardy's. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I didn't have to look around in the gravy to find the sausage. There was plenty of sausage in there. And I'm not saying anything bad about Hardy's, but when we give, we ought to give with plenty. We ought to give just like we want to be given to us. There's that measurement thing in Luke chapter 7. We will talk about that again today. That's a very difficult thing to live up to sometimes. This is probably the most difficult though because this is where it really becomes personal. You know sometimes we can we can fake a welcome. It'll eventually come out. And we can we can sometimes even fake loving somebody. But you know, if, if you have ought against somebody, it's very difficult to fake forgiveness. They're going to sense that you're avoiding them or just not having a kind word or a friendly handshake or a smile. This is probably the most difficult one to live out. It's difficult within families. Many families have been destroyed because of lack of forgiveness. It's difficult within the church. But you know what? It ought not be real difficult 
for people when they walk through that door. Because we don't know where they've come from. 99% of the time we have no idea. And if because Jesus Christ has forgiven us, we ought to be able to forgive. I want to invite you, if you're uh, joining us by internet today, Facebook, to, to grab your notes. We'll be there in just a little bit. But it seems like we always have an exception. We feel like what they did to us is just different. And sometimes we have some excuses because, and we'll say things like this, well, you just don't know how bad they hurt me. Or you just don't know how much they owe me. You don't know how long this has been going on. And we come up with all these reasons. How, how many times I've forgiven him or her and they don't respond. They always just keep doing it over and over. You just don't know. Do you know what I do know? Is if I am to forgive like Jesus forgave, none of those excuses are going to hold up. Because I have done every one of those things back to Him. Number one in your notes. Jesus Christ mandates forgiveness. It's not an option for the believer. We're going to be here for a while. In fact, we'll spend most of our time this morning in this one, uh, Wendy. But I want you to go to Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 12. We're going to go back just a little bit farther than what I had in your notes. This is what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is teaching them how to pray. And he gets to this, and this is actually the fourth request in this prayer, and he says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then he goes on to say, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now he's talking about forgiveness in general. I believe this is talking about the person that maybe we don't even know them. But we don't know if they're a believer or an unbeliever. This is just general forgiveness. But look at what he says in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You can put the word like in there if you would. And some translations may even have that. And forgive us our debts like we forgive our debtors. Or as we forgive. There's a pattern here that Jesus is establishing. It, uh, he's using the word debt there. But that word debt literally means anything that is owed. Anything that's due. And legally do. In relation to sin, it means the failure to meet the mark. And all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all included here. Nobody's excluded. It means to keep our responsibilities. Our responsibilities to, to not do some things. To you know, we, We're instructed in Scripture not to murder and steal and cheat and lie and all those things. But it also includes those things that we should be doing. Like, go ye therefore in all the world and 
uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And so it could be a sin of commission or a sin of omission. Everyone fails in this duty at some point in time in our life. But Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Means to, the prayer here is really is asking God to do three things. To forgive our debt of sin. We all have that debt. Secondly, it's uh, asking us to forgive the debt of the punishment for that sin. You see, we can pay for our own our own sin at the end of our life. We if we choose not to accept Christ's forgiveness, we'll pay for our own sin with our own life. And thirdly, to forgive our debt just as we forgive our debtors. In other words, God, the way that I forgive my brother, that's the way I want to be forgiven. Going down to Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Jesus is very clear here. He gives them the positive and the negative form of this statement. Just so there's no misunderstanding. Look what he says. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And just in case you didn't get it, here's the negative side of that. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's conditional. We must forgive. We don't have a choice if we expect God to forgive us. And it's in that order. We've been forgiven. He's talking to the Christian here. We have been forgiven. And what he's saying is if you're holding ought against someone, regardless of what it is, don't come praying for forgiveness until you've settled that matter. I hold nothing, oh God, is basically what you're saying. God, I, I've forgiven all that's against me or that I know about that, that I've done against someone else. God, I've made that right to the best of my ability. Now I come asking for forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord, the way that I've forgiven others. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, in relation to our duty to ask God for forgiveness, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we have to confess. We have to bring it before him. It's our duty to do that. Isaiah 55, 7 says this, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man's thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and the Lord will have worship on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God is faithful. But it's very clear there that Jesus says you can't do that unless you're willing to forgive. Our duty is to forgive is to forgive man's sin against us. In Mark chapter 11, turn there with me, Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus is teaching on prayer. And it's just as though he's, he, he's teaching on prayer. Here he's talking about having faith, praying with faith. And, and uh, this is the passage he talks about praying for a mountain to be moved and it would be removed and he gets down to verse 25 and he brings this thing about forgiveness back into the middle. He says, and when, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against 
anyone. That probably includes everybody. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you and your trespasses. You see, there's the same pattern again. Don't come ask me for forgiveness when you know you have a grudge against your brother or you're holding something against another man. He goes on to verse 26, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. That's pretty plain. I don't think we have to break that one down to understand it. If we don't forgive, God's not going to forgive us. And you know that if you've given your life to Christ and you're holding a grudge against somebody, that's not going to affect your salvation, but it will affect your relationship with God. Until you have a right relationship with your man, with man, you'll never have a right, right relationship with God. Go to Luke. 637 we've been there several times during this series of sermons Luke chapter 6 verse 37 here's that measurement thing again and I went back and looked at it just so that I was sure that I had read that in there go back up to verse let's look at start beginning with verse 35 But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, for you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. There's the pattern again. Forgive first, and then you'll be forgiven. Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The same way that we forgive will be the same way that we'll be forgiven. He makes that pretty clear in several different places, in several different contexts. In Luke chapter 17, he says, Take heed. And this is where he's specific talk about. Let's just turn there. Luke 17. He is talking to believers here. Luke chapter 17. In verse 1 it says, Then he said to the disciples. Well, drop down to verse 3 with me. Take heed to yourself. In other words, pay attention. This is very important. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, he's talking about believer against believer. This is where it's different. Rebuke him. In other words, confront the offender. The Matthew 18 principle, where you go to your brother if he has ought against you. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. That number of perfection again. And the idea is there that it may be eight or nine or ten, but it's always to be forgiven. But it's different for those that are not believers. We're not to rebuke them again. We're not their judge. 
it's not for us to hold them accountable. Jesus is very clear here in the Sermon on the Mount that we are just to forgive. Just to forgive. And if we are to be forgiven ourselves, we can go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 and 14, or 14 and 15, then we have to be willing to forgive those who have offended us. And there are many who will offend us. If you don't believe that, you just hang around a while. If you haven't been offended or something, somebody said something you didn't like or done something against you in the last week or so, you probably haven't been around very many people. Because if you hang around very long, you're going to be offended. Something's going to cross your path. And it may not even be meant as an offense. But Christ says that we are not to be harsh toward those who sin severely against us, but we must forgive. Go back to Matthew chapter 5 with me. And I want to look at a few of those. He's, again, we're at the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, uh, look at verse 39. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him. Wouldn't that be offensive to you? Jesus says forgive him and then let him do it again if that's just what he really wants to do. There will be some that will smite us. There will be some that will despitefully use us. Look at verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Have you ever felt used before? Yeah, many times. And we must forgive. There will be those that will hate us. Look at verse 44 again. It says, love your enemies and bless those that curse you. There will be those that will curse us. And there will be those who will hate us. It says, and be, be good or do good to those who hate you. There will be many who might compel us against our own will verse 41 and whoever compels you to go one mile go with him too they talk you into doing something you don't really want to do let's just give them a little extra there's a story about a priest who had a young man break into the cathedral and stole a bunch of really fine articles of silver that had been given to the church he had them displayed in the church and they caught the young man and they brought him before the priest, and the authorities asked the priest, What do you want to do with him? The priest turned around and grabbed a little candlestick and another piece of silver and handed it to the young man. He said, I forgive you, but you forgot a couple of pieces. That's forgiveness. It needs to be restitution, but the first response in our heart needs to be forgiveness. They need to be able to see the love of Christ because did we not do that to Jesus? Did we not do some of those same things to Jesus as he pursued us and loved us even though we considered him an enemy? And that brings us to this point. The believer must have understanding. We must have understanding. It's not in your notes, but Proverbs eleven twelve says this. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. We have to be peaceful people. Proverbs 15:21 says, Folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. Ephesians 1:8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. 
which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He understood where we were. He understood that we were sinners lost. He understood that we were without hope. We were deprived in our own thinking. And he pursued us so that he could forgive us. You know what? Many times when people do things against us or against the church, they have what they believe are reasons, and some of them are legit sometimes. But it may be because they've been mistreated and hurt by the church. They may feel neglected or ignored. And then they react out of that feeling that someone has maybe have, has done to them, or maybe they have at least been, they perceive this been done to them. It may be someone who is just tired and aggravated. Life's got them down. And they're going to be direct and to the cutting edge. And we have to be understanding. It may be someone who is shy or feels inferior. They feel unworthy. So they act out. They're unfriendly or they're not receiving of a welcome or a hug. We have to be understanding. It may be someone who just has some false information. It might be someone that's, that's heard a lie or gossip. But again, we have to be understanding. It may be someone who just needs some attention. They're reaching out. We see that in young people all the time. They just need some attention. They need to be loved. They're lost. They're acting the way lost people act. And we need to be understand Jesus mandates forgiveness from the believer it's not an option he says love as I loved he also says forgive as I forgave forgiveness is a decision to release a person from an obligation or a debt when they have injured or sinned against you Christ did it and he says if we're going to have our sins forgiven then we have to be willing to forgive Jesus told a story in Matthew 18. I want you to turn there and we'll spend the rest of our time here. Matthew 18. The parable of the unforgiving servant. Again, he's talking to the believer. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 18, he's talking to the disciples. It's always important to look at context. He's talking to the disciples and and they're back and forth just a little bit of just with some conversation as Jesus speaks a little while and then it's you know the same old guy that speaks up you know there's always somebody in the crowd and it's Peter Peter asked Jesus this in verse 21 then Peter came to him and said Lord how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times He's questioning Jesus. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. And then he tells the story to help them understand. See, Jesus probably knew that they wouldn't get it. And many times he would tell a parable or a story to help understand. And that's, that's good for us today because many times we don't get it. But Jesus said to you, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king 
who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And Jesus is the king in this story. Keep that in mind as we read along. And when he had begun to settle the accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Talent was the highest denomination of money at the time. And 10,000 was a, a number commonly known as the highest that we would ever count to, unlike today. But it was a just an exorbitant amount of money. Some have said that it's probably up to about 20 years of wages. If you have a study Bible, it may tell you that in there. But it's about 20 years. There's, there's no way to figure that exactly because we don't have a denomination really to, to compare that to. But if he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, probably about two to three months' wages, a lot less money. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Jesus, I believe, was very intentional here. He used the very same words as the first servant to make sure that we understood that he's asking in the same way for the master to have patience and to forgive. And he would not, verse, 20, uh, 20, uh, verse 30, and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now how easy is it going to pay a debt if you're in prison? He's just going to be there. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. How are we supposed to forgive in the body of Christ? Parable of the unforgiving servant. Peter says how many times? See, I think Peter had either seen the same transcript or heard the same sermon as the gentleman Mark chapter 11. Because he said seven times, is that going to be good, Lord? See, the Pharisees thought three was enough. It was written in their law that three times is, is considered to be long-suffering long suffering and good enough and three strikes and you're out. So Peter thought, well, if they think three is good enough, I'll just impress Jesus by using that perfect number again. And so, Lord is seven sufficient but I can imagine Peter's countenance fell a little bit when Jesus said no seven's not good enough Peter not only seven times but seven times seventy in other words we understand that today is to be uh, an immeasurable amount of forgiveness you just keep on forgiving 
You know, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't take Peter's logical thinking of seven times being enough. You're way ahead of me, Wendy. Go back. Go back. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't take that logical thinking. Because I can think back in my life and know there are some things in my life that I did more than seven times. And if that was the forgiveness that would have been forgiven to me, then I would not be able to have full forgiveness in my life. And there's many of you that could say the same thing. But Jesus goes on to tell them that forgiveness is not a normal thing. Forgiveness is supernatural. And he was using that number to help us to understand that we must continue to forgive and forgive and to forgive. But when you refuse to give, most of the time, the offender doesn't really care. They don't really care. But it puts you in a prison because God says, unless you forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. Howard's got a pretty nice trailer. He used it to help me move, and I appreciate that. And he just told me he put two tires on it to make sure it's roadworthy. So if I were to go borrow Howard's trailer, and for some reason or another I didn't return it to him, Howard has a choice. Howard can be placed into prison of unforgiveness for the rest of his life. See, because Howard can't control necessarily what I did. I didn't bring his traitor back. But he can control whether or not he forgives me. And we all have plenty of opportunities to forgive. But Howard can let that swell inside of him and just burn inside of him and cause him to be bitter and grow old and angry. And it won't change the fact that I didn't return his traitor. But if he chooses to forgive me and he releases that and truly forgives, God will give him a spirit of peace that is only supernatural. Because it's not natural that I borrow his trailer and not bring it back. But God says we must forgive. Well, that kind of thing puts us in prison to that other person. We all have plenty of opportunity to forgive. Number two, I finally got there, Wendy. I'm sorry. I'm going to move fast now. Forgiveness must be unilateral, total, and immediate. Forgiveness must be unilateral, total, and immediate. Look back at the story. Verse 21. He asked Jesus how many times. Jesus tells him. He doesn't tell you. There's, there's no parameters on this forgiveness just do it unilateral forgiveness means that it's a frame of mind and, and we must forgive others and it's our action not theirs 
once we know we've been offended, we just forgive. That just becomes who we are. It must be total forgiveness. In Revelation 1.5, it says that Jesus washed us from our sin. There's nothing there that's left out. When the singular word sin is used in, in Scripture, it means totality. Jesus washed us from our sin with his own blood. And it's our forgiveness that must be returned to others. And it must be from, it must be immediate. Jesus Christ gives without hesitation when we come willing to be forgiven and asking for forgiveness. Number three in your notes, rationalizations are foolish. Rationalizations are foolish. I'm sure Peter thought that Jesus would clarify this and he would have a, a clear number of how many times. I wonder if he already had somebody in mind that he just wouldn't forgive. Dr. James McDonald uses this illustration. He says sin is like a malignant tumor. And he, he says rationalizations are foolish if we look at it like a malignant tumor because we understand that sin put our unforgiveness in our heart puts us in bondage to the person that's offended us. And he uses this illustration as being like a tumor. He says, rationalizations are foolish. He says because the bigger it is, the sooner you must rid yourself of it. Think about that. The bigger the offense, the sooner I need to get over it. Because the more it's going to eat me up like a large tumor. Now, if it's a little bitty tumor, and maybe the doctor noticed it there, and he says, well, we're going to watch that for six months or a year, and you go back, and it's still the same size, you're probably not going to think much about it once you've been cleared. He's the professional. He's watching it. And, you know, and if somebody's just done some little thing against you, you might just forget about it. But if they've really hurt you, like me not returning that trailer, the sooner... He can get over it, the better off he's going to be. Now, he's probably not going to let me borrow his trailer anymore. He might not let me borrow it now with my thinking. But I'll have to answer to God if I don't bring it back. He won't. The rationalizations are foolish. The bigger the offense against us, the sooner we need to get over it. The next one says, I can't forgive if I can't forget. Think about it. If that tumor's little bitty and the doctor says don't worry about it, you might forget about it for a few days. You might think about it here and there. But if you've got this big malignant tumor on your side, you're not going to forget about it. We've got to get over it. The next one, time will heal. It usually doesn't. I've seen families never talk for years and years and years. And time does not heal unforgiveness. Time will not heal that tumor. Time's not going to heal that unforgiveness. The next rationalization is, I'll forgive them when they say I'm sorry. But you may never forgive. You may stay in bondage. And the, the last one, they'll just do it again. What does Jesus say? Mark chapter 11, then you just forgive them again. You see, the unforgiveness really just puts us in bondage because most of the time the offender, it, it 
some reason, some point in their life, they just don't care. If they did, they wouldn't keep doing it. Number four in your notes, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is so destructive. It's so destructive. I've said it, I'll say it again, to many families are destroyed by unforgiveness. And most of the time, it's over nothing. It's little petty stuff that just grows and grows and grows. Verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. Now remember, this is the forgiven one. Who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. What happened there? Two servants that had worked together. The indication in the story is that they had worked together. They knew each other. Two or three months' wages ruined the relationship. Not only did it ruin the relationship, but it ruined the witness of the servant that had been forgiven so much. It ruined the witness of the servant that had begin, that had been forgiven so much. Isn't our claim to know Jesus worth protecting? Our claim to know the king, the master, in this story is worth protecting. It's not worth, for most of the time, it's little petty stuff within the church. Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. And guess what? There are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. Because if we're around one another long enough, we're going to offend and we're going to fail one another. Our relationship will be short-lived if we're not big enough to forgive one another. I remember when I went to Sacramento, Kentucky, a little rural church there, and they had had some real struggles, and it was a great re rebuilding time with them, and God blessed, and the church grew, and not only did the church grow, but there was healing within the church, and uh, we had an evangelist come in and preach a revival, and he preached on forgiveness one night. And I'll never forget this. There's a lady in our church, and I think at that time she was about 92 years old. Her name is Maud Greathouse. She's gone on to be with the Lord now. Didn't say anything to me. Didn't say anything to the evangelist. But she knew there was some friction with the neighbor next door to the church. There was a driveway. Now this is how petty things can be. There was a driveway that separated the church and their property and that's all it was the rock went right to the wall of the church and when somebody went down that driveway they were within inches of the wall of the church that's all it was and it went back to the back of both properties and I don't know the whole story I didn't care to know and I didn't want to know at that time but for some reason the church and the neighbor got into a squabble over maintenance of the driveway, who could use it, when it could be blocked, all these kinds of this petty stuff. It came down to the church relationship and the neighbor's relationship was broken over about 300 feet of gravel. I can tell you what my 
position would be if I had been there. Just give them the driveway. What's it going to matter? We don't use it anyway. We parked on the other side and in the back. Nobody ever used the driveway. That was the sad thing about it. But this 92-year-old woman knew there was friction. She went to the neighbor and asked for forgiveness from that neighbor. And then I learned about it after it happened. And you know what happened? Those folks didn't come to the church. But the relationship, when I was out, because we, we lived in a parsonage right there on the church property. When I was outside, you know, I could wave to them and talk to them. And that relationship was restored, not because of anything that I had done. And they were mad at me, and I didn't know anything about it. But because one 92-year-old lady, and knowing her, and she probably didn't have anything to do with the squabble when it went on, but she went next door and asked that neighbor to forgive the church for whatever the main reason or whatever it was that happened. And relationships started to be mended. There will be no enduring relationships without forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't excuse behavior, but forgiveness prevents behavior from destroying my heart. You know, they may still be wrong, and they may have to deal with that with God. But if I choose not to forgive, it just destroys me. Number five in your notes, and I'm going to move quickly. God forgives. God's forgiveness demands gift. God's forgiveness demands it demands that we forgive. When we calculate how much we've been forgiven, we must also forgive. We're, see, we're, we're really a picture of that first servant. We've been forgiven so much. The transgression against God who loved us so much and He had to pursue us for us to even admit who He was or who He is. God's forgiveness demands it. Look at verse 32 and 33. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? Just like God had pity on us and forgave us, we must forgive one another and forgive others. James 2.13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Number six in your notes, the alternative is terrifying. The alternative is terrifying. Because a lifestyle of unforgiveness gives evidence that a person may have not ever been forgiven. Think about that. It's a checkpoint for our life. A lifestyle, if that's your pattern, if that's your lifestyle, if that's your habit, maybe you've never been forgiven. A lifestyle of unforgiveness gives evidence that a person has never been forgiven. John Phillips, and I've read from him many times before, I'm going to read you what he writes about this point. I'm going to read the scripture first. Verse 34 and 35 says this, And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Remember, he's in prison. He'll never be able to repay him. 
so my heavenly Father also will do to, you, to each of you. From so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Listen to what John Phillips writes about this passage. In human courts of law, previous conviction increases the penalty for further transgression. The man in this parable was arrested, arraigned, tried, and sentenced not because of his 10,000 talent debt. You see, he had been forgiven that. But because of his wicked behavior toward his fellow servant. However, his punishment was made commensurate with what he had once owed because of his new sin, he would not be eligible for parole until he paid the equivalent of his former debt. Mercy had been replaced with wrath. In applying the parable, the Lord showed the seriousness of an unforgiving spirit. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, Jesus said, if from your heart you do not forgive every one of your brother who trespasses against you. Peter had asked how often he must forgive, and Jesus said in effect to him, you must go on forgiving and forgiving because that is how the heavenly Father forgives. After all, the transgressions we are called on to forgive are relatively petty, are relatively petty when compared with the enormous transgressions we have asked God to forgive. Most of the time, when someone has offense against me, or I feel like I've been hurt, it's petty compared to what God's forgiven me for. The parable shows that an unforgiving spirit reveals an unregenerate heart, and an unregenerate heart eventually lands a place, lands a person in the place of torment. Why would the Lord tell such a parable to his disciples? Because one of them had an unregenerate heart. He was a mere pretender, and he ended up in perdition. His name was Judas, and why should the parable be told to the local church? The ranks of the church members often include some who have never truly been regenerated. I hope that's not where you are today. Isaiah one eighteen says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The only way that that can happen is because of Revelation 1.5 says that Jesus washed our sin with his own blood. How about you today? Have you accepted that forgiveness? You see, you don't have the ability really to forgive as Jesus forgave until you've been forgiven. But then once we've been forgiven, forgiveness is not an option. And if we fail to forgive, it will only put our hearts in bondage. It will ruin our relationship with our Lord. And it will cause many, th many times, it will cause much destruction in our life if we're not willing to forgive. What will the world see? Eastside Baptist Church. There's the heart of a growing church. Welcome without judgment. Love without condition. You'll forgive without love.